Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Digital Grocer Mercatus's podcast. I'm your host, Sylvain Perrier, President and CEO of Mercatus Technologies. And as always, joining me from the safety of this bat cave is Mercatus's Vice President of Marketing, Mark Ferrist. It's very good to be back. It's great. And I can't believe it. this is episode two of season four. It's exciting. It is. It is. We're, we're still working out the kinks. We're, but, uh, we're, yeah, we are. We're getting there. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny enough, we are recording on, which we've never done before. We're actually recording on a Sunday. Yeah. It's it's more, I, like you said, it's, it's opportunity to do this in a little more relaxed environment. Yeah. You're not having to rush off of a call, rush off of a meeting, yeah. and then worry about getting everything done, you, you know, post show editing and then you know you're rushing off to another meeting it just it just it makes it that much more difficult that much more riskier for a mistake i yeah absolutely quite frankly course, right? we never make mistakes though well you tell me about it right <laughs> so there's a lot happening in in the industry today so you know since our last episode uh, yeah. episode one of, of season four amazon opened up their grocery store yeah, big news. A lot of media coverage in the trades. Yeah, yeah, and I you know we we ended up getting a story on Winsight Grocery, yeah. which was, you know, we talked about what's the what can Amazon do that some of the other traditional retailers can't do, you know, and I kind of mentioned and said, you know, the the reality is Amazon will be able to integrate technology into the experience, and which. Which is easy, it's easier for them to do because, you know, they're not dealing with years of legacy. <clears throat> and I've always said grocery retailers will be strong depending on where the executive group and, and the CEO grew up. So if they grew up, through, you know, towards operational ranks, they'll mm -hmm. be really good at that. If they grew up through the marketing ranks, again, they'll be really good at that, you know, their brand and so on. But the reality that doesn't exist in Amazon. So there's things like that they're doing at the store in Woodland Hills. They've integrated the Amazon Echo devices to help you find yes. products in the store. And, you know, you and I both know Planogram compliance at a grocery retailer will vary from, I've seen as low as 30%. And I've seen some cases, some retailers are really, really good at it. You know, they'll get north of 85%. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, I mean they've had the benefit of being able to do this from the ground up right you know it's in and you know and applying you know in some circles it's a dirty word um term uh silicon valley mindset mm -hmm. but it's it's they they are coming at it from a technology perspective yes 100 percent. yeah absolutely i mean we also saw the cart that they actually deployed yep and that's to to facilitate checkout and the reality if you look at the way that cart was designed it's they've taken that whole camera system that would have been kind of part of the ceiling and they've shrunk it down into the cart. So when you're actually putting an item into the cart, it's scanning it as you go. And, yep. you know, and Mercatus, we have experience designing that type of technology. You know, our first in incarnation was Springboard Retail Networks, where yep. we designed that type of technology, it was tested at Loblaws, it was tested at Bloom. So, you know, we've seen the difficulty of building something like that and trying to bring it to realization. And, and the reality is it's a it's a tough business model, but I appreciate the way Amazon's doing. I think it has to a certain extent some merit. Yeah. And, and, and again, it's 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 100 percent focused on removing the friction from the checkout process. I mean, that's 
you go into a grocery store, what is the one thing that um, still remains a bottleneck in getting in and out of the store? It's, yeah. it's the checkout. Well, I dread it. I dread it for yeah. two reasons. I avoid grocery retailers where I have to self bag my groceries. I avoid that. I avoid yeah. it because I'm not good at it. I'm not speedy. I feel guilty that I'm holding up the line for the people behind me. And trust me, I had, I've had my share of shoppers look at me really strange. The dirty looks, <laughs> the dirty looks in grocery retail in, in, in the aisles from, from fellow shoppers is... is I'm sorry, I didn't work my way through high school bagging grocery bags. Right, right. I, I didn't. I didn't. Did you? <laughs> I didn't. So I'm sorry I'm not an expert at it. Sorry I'm hogging I'm hogging all the room by the bread aisle. I'm like it's not my fault. Sorry. I'm God big. God forbid you crush something when you get home. Right. Well, God forbid I, I buy the wrong bread. That's true. <laughs> God. I feel bad for the bread makers of America now hearing our story. But the 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 reality so I avoid that first and foremost. Two, I don't it's just the lineups and I try I try not to use uh, self-checkout not that I don't like it but if I find if you have more than five to ten items it's not as convenient but I don't know all the PLUs and so on yeah and and, and, and again I mean they're doing a good job now of trying to keep the terminals clean I mean mm. the store that I go they've actually hired a person that's all they do is they wipe every time someone uses the uh yeah the checkout they go and wipe it down it's it's um it does it gives you pause for concern yeah i kind of went dark here i think one of my lights went out <laughs> but i'm just gonna stay like this now we're on Mysteri a roll yes it's so. you're mysterious. You're mysterious. mysterious mr perrier mr yes you get to see me my natural state of darkness see this is one of the things mm -hmm. one of the things that we have to cope with but that's right that's we're, right we're going on keep calm carry on yes and did you know the sobeys has reintroduced uh, brown paper bags no, I did. So, yeah. so uh, Sobeys is one of the large Canadian yeah. uh, grocery retail chains. Yeah, owned owned by uh, the Empire Group out of uh, Stellarton, Nova Scotia, and uh, yeah. there was the retailer that actually bought Safeway um, out in Western Canada. And I, I appreciate the fact that you know, is it environmentally safe and friendly? Yeah, there's a lot of debates on that, but I think the reality is we're our neighborhood is funny they're reusing those bags to cover school books like we used to do <laughs> we used to do as kids the parents kids, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was great you used to color them and yeah so i used to do and i'm seeing i'm seeing kids doing arts and crafts with them so i think i applaud them i applaud them for that and just kind of somewhat eliminating plastic and so on and i think that's great but it's just another example of how this pandemic is just turn the uh, the cart upside down you know when it comes to what we were doing and what we're doing now yeah and so the other news is TikTok. i mean i think there it's been a contentious relationship with the white house in terms of you know the rhetoric around data privacy that the app is insecure and it really just picked up steam when and i think if you remember this mark when amazon issued a notice to its employees to mm -hmm. say hey by the way um we think this app is an issue. There's some security risk. We prefer if you are running a company phone or a phone that has access to sensitive Amazon data that you don't have the application installed. Right, right. So you've seen a lot of um, companies forward in trying to acquire um, the US side of TikTok. 
So we've seen Microsoft, we've seen yep. Oracle come to the table in terms of Oracle managing infrastructure and so on. But I think the one name that stood out the most, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this, is Walmart actually trying to to, to cut a deal. Yeah, it's it's you know at, at first glance you think you know what the heck is Walmart want to do with a social media platform especially a, a platform whose demographic skews so young uh, but when you start to think about it it it, it sort of makes sense and uh, you know from Walmart's perspective you know they're driving hard they're driving hard to uh, you know reach a, reach an audience that normally um, would not purchase from them but maybe eventually one day will or at least their parents um, will purchase from them right right yeah it's also it's also kind of interesting because this is all happening at the same time that walmart announced uh, walmart plus yeah and it's 98 dollars, i believe it's less expensive than an amazon prime membership and there's some significant advantages within the walmart plus package so yep. we're talking about discount on fuel for example which i think is something like five cents a gallon and Walmart's partnered with a, a series of fuel stations yep. across the United States. And I did a quick calculation. So if you take an average car, you know, spending thirty-six to forty dollars a week on gas, and you calculate the five cent discount, yep. it ends up being a saving of forty-two dollars, and that's half of the membership. Yeah, close. I mean, half, it, right? Yeah, it's. You know, I, I've heard other comment. It, you know, what took Walmart so long? Is it? Um, it's it's not something completely out of out of the experience that other retailers have regional retailers do mm -hmm. uh, but when you scale it across you know the size of business that walmart has it's it is a value add for those those shoppers yeah and i think that this idea of them controlling tiktok will give them access to data and it's been it's been reported that a, a strong percentage of the TikTok users actually have an Amazon Prime account. Yeah. Yeah. And so it would give Walmart a big plus in what they could do uh, with the data and being able to market to a, a consumer base that I don't think normally shops at Walmart. Yeah. I mean it, it, that's a great point. You know, this is something that um, I think Scott Galloway's brought up on his show. He talks about algorithmic commerce mm -hmm. and how that's now, you know, the, the leading strategic driver for a lot of these investment decisions. I mean, the reality is we've been doing algorithmic commerce for years, right? Uh, at least on our platform. What are your thoughts on um, how he's framed that? Yeah, it's interesting that he, you know Scott comes out with the context of a commerce at the same time as the movie The Social Dilemma was released on Netflix and that there's a really impactful line that's shared in that movie which is we're now uh, large corporations in the Facebooks the Googles of the world and I think pretty much any any social platform we're trading now on human futures <clears throat> Predict, predicting behavior predict yeah. well predicting it and then changing influencing it, right yeah. so really influencing it and, and i think the context like even at mercatus when we decided to launch personalization i think the the rationale behind it was it was a very simple rationale quite frankly when you look at transactional data for 
any given household, you could easily do a series of things. One is reverse compile the makeup of that household. So for example, uh, a basic example of that is if, if they are buying um, adult diapers, if they are buying certain elements that are more conducive to a senior citizen, then you, you, you can reasonably deduce that it's an older household. You can also look at the amount of money they're spending. It could be a fixed income household as well as the number of individuals in the house, right? So I don't think most, you know, if, for example, if they're buying um, Old Spice deodorant, so in other things, okay, there's a man in the house. And if you're, if they're buying feminine hygiene products, then you can deduce there's, there's a woman in the household. So this becomes really interesting. But what you can also tell is if you know the makeup of the household, what is it that they're not buying with you? As right. a retailer, where are they going? That's that famous Delta that we always talk about. Are they going to a, an adjacent retailer in another vertical? For for example, uh, uh, an RX play. You know, yeah. Canada would be Shoppers Drunk Mart. The United States would be CVS. Are they going there to buy their health and beauty products? Why are they not buying them with us? And the concept's always been, can we at the very least use a piece of content on the mobile app or the website to influence their behavior. And we've seen that be very successful with, with a lot of retailers, but this notion on, on, on trading on, on futures is it is one step ahead of, I think what our concepts were at the time and what I'm right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, our, you know, when we approach it, we do it from the perspective of, you know, speed and convenience for the shopper. Right. Uh, and offer that capability to the retailer. So you're building your basket. You know, last thing you want to do, you have a 70 item uh, basket. Likelihood of you re remembering everything that you need um, is pretty, pretty low. So if you have this prompt saying, hey, last time you bought cantaloupe do you want another cantaloupe that's the convenience factor but when you start getting into uh, influencing other behavior mm. that's that's where I, I think consumers will uh, start to have some some concern um, we're not there yet at least as far as e-commerce platforms go but um, it's it's coming yeah and I think Walmart's yeah. Walmart's decision um, gives you an indication as to what their thoughts are. Yeah, I would I would agree. I think we're when you hear the words trading on human futures, it's it's also the rapid commoditization of humanity. And, wow. And and what that means is you're leaving a series of very powerful companies. Yep. Manage that, and to the benefit of whom is it? To, sure, for sure, to their benefit. I mean, their their stocks are you know well reflect that. But also, is it also to the benefits of the advertising agencies who represent large CPGs? Right. And I don't think I don't think even even talking to a lot of CPGs lately, because, you know, we launched our ad network that even they're reaping the rewards. I think there's this really abstracted middle here of this data, these models that are being built and they're to the benefit of whom in, in the yep. long in the long run. And I think that's what we need to be mindful. Now, luckily in, in the world, like you said, in the world of e-commerce and specifically in grocery, we're just, we're just not there right? at right. all, which I think, and I think you're right. Walmart is going to be the, the first step into this. It'll be interesting. 
I've always wondered is a couple things. I mean, luckily in California, there's right, there's good legislation in CCPA. I think this at some point will become a federal law and it will start to change uh, the landscape. But, you know, unfortunately right now, there are more important things to deal with um, in the US. The latest right. piece of news, uh, HEB has uh, formally announced their partnership with the folks over at SwissLog. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is great. It's going to be for HEB their first venture into implementing um, MFC technology. You know, Swiss, Swiss Log is a company that actually reps and installs auto stores technology. Yep. yep. And when was it, Mark, we interviewed the VP of sales from auto stores? It, actually, it, it was earlier uh, in 2020 this year. It was shortly after, um, we, you know, we came back from uh, San Diego. Yeah. And uh, it's really interesting because, you know, most people might not know this, and I encourage you to go back to, to listen to that episode. The reality is the way AutoStore kind of came about, it was an inter inter integrated circuit manufacturer. It's a company. Mm -hmm. and out, out of Norway. Out of Norway that basically said, you know, there's got to be a better way for us to manage our own warehouse in terms of picking and packing and so on. Yep. And they invented their own technology to do this. And they did it really well. And it was extremely efficient. So much so that a, a friendly company just down the road, uh, a, a stone's throw away, uh, as I've been told, um, the CEO came over and said, you know, I really like that technology. And I'm wondering if you'd be willing to implement it in, into our location. Now, I think that's great. You know, I've been getting a lot of phone calls from some retailers, some of them that are not Mercatus customers saying, hey, I think we're considering doing an implementation of an MFC solution. And then we start talking about cost of implementing, what's the break even point. But I think more so is the educational piece here for retailers and for those that are listening that work in retail. I think you have to take the approach that what is the volume? Is it consistent? Is it geographically dispersed? Yep. And if it is, is there an opportunity to amalgamate into an into an MFC location? But also be mindful. What what are going to be not just your, your last mile costs? Because if you're doing delivery, what are going to be the costs of getting those orders into the hands of the stores that may be acting as fulfillment points? So think think of the whole hub and spoke model in this context. So I think you got to go in right with eyes wide open. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it, you know, to your point, understanding where your shoppers are purchasing now, um, the volume, the consistency of that volume, uh, the pandemic has skewed uh, much of everything. Um, you know, in our own, we'll talk about it shortly, our own research is showing that those there are changed behaviors and those behaviors will continue going forward. Um, so uh, I, I definitely think it's something that a lot of retailers we'll be looking at it, uh, very, very closely. Absolutely. Um, I think it's going to be really critical at this point for how retailers are going to approach the market with the surge that they've seen from the pandemic. And, you know, I don't know if most people know this, we're now starting in Canada to deal with a shortage of toilet paper, paper towel and clean, <laughs> clean, cleaning products. I tried. I got the last package of bounty on Friday. You did well. I had to. We so, we, we bought 
we went to two, I went to two different locations. I got two packs, and I'm I'm divvying them up with our, my neighbors. <laughs> I've become a paper towel pusher at this point. Which, it's different. It's paper towel. It's not toilet paper as much as paper towel. Right, right, and it's not glamorous to to be one of those types of pushers. <laughs> um, but you know, I think this is a sign of of the times. And and again, if you're a retailer, yes, it's great. You're thinking about MFC. We wish the team over at HEB the best of luck. But I, I encourage you to think about how are you going to fulfill for the consumers. I mean, we've seen this in our research. It's not all about delivery. You know, pickup no. in some, in many locations has a higher demand. Yeah, so, and it's consistent. It's right, consistent absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Now let's go into the research. I mean, and I want to kind of give some context to everyone yep. about this. We, for the last, I believe, three years, uh, three or four years, I mean, I think this is something we started in 2017, even before Mark joined uh, Mercatus. Yep. Um, my background is in research and research technology for a better part of my career. And I was always fascinated that when we were talking to retailers, there was really no data available to that would explain what are consumers thinking about? What are their sentiment on price sensitivity yeah. for certain services? What do they prefer? Delivery, pickup, and so on. What's their, why do they shop at their preferred retailer? What would cause them to, to change? So without secured permission from a lot of our customers at the time, and even non-customers to say, let us draft a research piece, a survey, we'll let you administer it. Meaning you can email out to your customers, it'll be branded to you, and we'll collect the data, we'll prepare a benchmark report, and we'll share your individual report uh, data results with you. And for us, that became very valuable for our product teams, valuable for marketing, and, and even more so valuable in having real strategic conversations with retailers yeah and and that's that's probably the uh the real reason that we continue to do this it's um it's a lot of work but it's 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 to have that dialogue with our retailers who look i mean they're extremely busy even busier now more so than ever mm -hmm. to give them that guidance that they need to help run their businesses absolutely absolutely now historically for the three, four times that we've done this, we never shared this data outside of our four walls and the results. Right. And there were, for valid, you know, valid reasons, we, I think at the time we were kind of debating, you know, when is the right time for Mercatus to step into the realm of being an authority in the space? Meaning leveraging our research and our knowledge and presenting that back out to the industry in the most unbiased way possible. So this year we decided to do that. And <laughs> it's been and it's been uh, nothing but amazing in the pickup of the of the numbers. It's it's a prediction, right? It's a model that uh what we did different different this year. Uh, actually the last 2 years. We actually went out and recruited a research firm mm -hmm. out of Chicago called Incisive. Uh, a lot of smart data scientists and researchers and they took our survey changed it around a bit still maintaining compare uh, ability to compare against the previous year yeah 
And we went out to market and we kind of launched it. And like I said, the results and, and, and the pickup have been amazing. And I'm just going to switch here to the ability to see this first page here. Give me one second. And so this is, yeah, just to pick up on that. So the, um, the survey itself, uh, really with the benefit and the help of our, uh, our retail partners. So yeah, we distributed it, uh, this summer, um, June to be exact, incisive, uh, help collect the, the responses. And to your point, the reason we wanted to have a third party, uh, an accredited research firm help is, you know, in the previous years, I mean, the data may have appeared to be self-serving and we know that this year more, more so than ever, uh, this, the appearance of being unbiased, uh, and but authoritative when it comes to the insights that we're producing uh, was important. So we went to market, collected about 60,000 responses uh, across 20 states in the in the US. And, you know, it collected about 40, it's amazing, 48 million data points. Uh, oh, it's been, and that's, it's been amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and as a result of that, we've come up with some pretty powerful insights that we can uh, that we can go through. So, Mark, what are, let's talk about who who's responding to the to this survey. Uh, you're talking you're talking about in the media. Well, more so the demographic profile. Right. Right. So we went across uh, all all of our clients. These are the participating clients. Uh, shopper base most of it um uh, as you can see here uh gender wise about 71 percent uh, female 24 percent male uh so very very i mean it's a traditional uh perspective as to who's doing majority of the household buying right uh, age wise you know the, the majority in the 45 to 64 category uh, another 30 31 percent of over 65 and the millennial audience comprised the remaining 20 percent yeah which is it which is a good it's a good split yeah so let's get into the kind of the summary results i mean sure so let me just jump in here i think what what we've noticed coming out of this is that the reality of why people are let's say loyal to their existing retailer it's fundamentally because of a few things one is proximity two is value and ultimately um it's product selection that's right and that's right in the pandemic we saw some significant changes to that and it, probably the most significant one is you saw roughly 60% of consumers just naturally transition out of their existing, their preferred retailer simply because right. of concerns. Right. And Mark, do you remember what some of those concerns were? Yeah. First and foremost, um, you know, you know, product availability, um, COVID, you know, concerns about COVID, um, 
ranked second and um, what was the third one do you have that I think a lot of, a lot of it was just the fact of time uh, is well so there was the concerns of COVID and then product availability but also there was the operational challenges of time slots that were kind of missing correct yep time slots so people yep. were just you know I, let me see if I can buy basics here and then eventually if they can't find it they would just go to the next the retailer and so on and so on and so on and just shift yeah and I, and I think that that insight that they still preferred a brick and mortar experience over a pure play e-commerce provider is one of the other interesting insights that uh, were uncovered from the responses now the one thing that we've noticed coming out of this research is that and I think this is where um, this prediction that we made has kind of caught the industry a little bit off guard here is shopping online in this vertical has fundamentally changed. 100%. Right? I mean, I think the, the most earliest predictions were at one point years ago, it was 100 billion by 2025. That was re revised by the awesome team at FMI to being north of 140 billion by 2025. Right. And now we we chose so first of all we chose to do our survey not at the not at the height of the pandemic. This wasn't in April or in April. It was mostly post May mark. I think May June. Yeah, uh, yeah June June uh, mostly three weeks in June. Three weeks in June. So yep. we 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 made that conscious decision. And so what we kind of realized is that from from collecting data from sixty thousand shoppers is that. The reality is a very small subset of people will go back to shopping in store. And, yep. and they are typically, and again, Mark, correct me if I'm wrong here, they are typically over the age of 60, 65 plus. Yeah, we saw a huge influx of seniors, um, and, and you experienced this yourself. Mm. Uh, purchasing online for the first time and that that demographic uh, is reporting a, a very high sticky factor when it comes to continuing I think overall uh, the numbers worked out to about seven maybe seven percent of online shoppers would revert to in-store leaving approximately 36 percent of new online shoppers continuing to purchase online which is huge huge when it comes to the adoption factor of uh, e-commerce and grocery generally yeah and, and and this is where it gets extremely interesting in in the model that we've adopted here and the reality is going to be what we think and i'm going to put this graphic up here so i can really bring it home for everyone is we know that in 2019 grocery e-commerce in in the total vertical right so the vertical would have been just north of a billion represented roughly 3.4 percent and we were we were heading towards in 2020 roughly 4.3 percent of again still a north of a, of a trillion dollar market but that has jumped up to 10.2 percent and if you, you look at the CAGR, you know, mm -hmm. compounded annually growth, compounded annual growth rate, we're es estimating that in the vertical alone, 
by 2025 and, and the vertical itself will probably hit 1.1, maybe 1.2 trillion, that grocery will be online 21.5% of that. Which is two, you know, it's a big number. It's two hundred and fifty billion. It's it's a hundred and seven hundred and ten billion more than the most recent prediction. I think that was done end of twenty nineteen or maybe even it's it's a pre COVID number. Yeah, that would, I think yeah FMI's and Nielsen's number was I think early February twenty twenty. Right. Yeah. Right. I I will say I will say a few things. You know, we're fortunate in Mercatus because not only do we have great retailers that allow us to survey their customers, we also provide back infrastructure for them to report on, right? So we've integrated Tableau and, and so on and, and, and any of the transactional data that flows through us, they have access to, to report on it. We've seen some retailers in the nation go from um, go into a four to five X in revenue. And yes, in certain markets there, we're seeing a decline, weekly decline, 5%, 7%, 8%. And I think that's also been reported by uh, David Bishop and his team at Brick Meets Click. That that is where we saw a decline. We saw, you know, I think it was the month of June, we hit 7.2 billion just yep. for that month in sales. Yep. And in August, uh, we went down to 5.4 billion. Yeah, there's there's um, what, you know, David is calling uh, the new the new normal mm-hmm. uh, in grocery retail. There's definitely been a shift from food uh, back to uh, outside of the home mm-hmm. uh, as a result. Um, but there's also, you know, I think the key point here is that August number is still about 200 million more than the April number, which is really at the height of the pandemic. Okay, that's a great point. I'm glad yeah. you, sh- you share that. And but also to add to that, we're also seeing certain markets where the sales are not really declining. No. And. No, we've talked about maybe the next interesting piece of research would be, could we overlay this on this data against a map that says, well, you know, political figures in this geographical area have made these decisions. These are the number of cases we're seeing for COVID and so on. And uh, would that help make better decisions for a retailer? No, not really. I mean, because then you'd wonder, well, what's the next prediction, the next decision that's going to be made that may be affecting this? And I don't think we know. But what I think it is true here, when I talk to consumers who don't know what I do for a living, don't know that I work for Mercatus, they're new to e-commerce, the reality is after their fourth experience, it's extremely sticky. And the main driver is, guess what? Convenience. That's right. That's right, right, yeah, and it's and it's the same thing that we've seen in our research. Uh, COVID has changed behavior. It's it, this is this is not something that uh, any of the experts in the industry expect to have a full scale retrenchment. It's yeah. uh, it's it's a, you know it's 
we feel blessed to have provided and continue to provide an essential service um, and it's and it's something from our perspective you know we feel quite proud and you know we're working hard to make sure that our systems continue to support consumers that that view it in that those terms yeah and, and i mean this is exciting and i think um you know mark and i have been talking about this i had the um the pleasure of having a chat with a ceo of a pet food supplier one of the largest in the country uh, headquartered out of uh, north carolina and i was kind of getting what's his impression vis-a-vis what he's seeing mm-hmm. and they get this they saw a massive explosion on their side as well and the demand for high-end pet food which you know taking care of the family pet i'm hoping we can bring them on for a guest yeah that would be great so who knows where these numbers are going to end up i mean this is this is the beauty about doing research and making a a prediction uh, based on what you have in front of you and what you're seeing from consumer temperament so i'm excited to see what that's going to end up Mark, uh, you know, as always, it's always fun uh, to uh, to record an episode with you. Certainly, <laughs> on a Sunday, I feel like this is taking a form of like an NPR show. <laughs> it's laid back Sunday afternoon. It's laid back. <laughs> is Diane Reem still alive from NPR? God, she was so old when I used to listen. I don't. I don't. I don't think so. We should get Diane Reem on a show if she's still alive. <laughs> she's great. I love Diane Reem. So, hey, Mark, tell, can you share with our guests how they can get a hold of us? Sure. I think the best place to, uh, to go is digitalgrocer.com. You can get reach us at our website. You can reach us on YouTube. And when you're there, please uh, hit the like and subscribe. That'll, that'll give us some good, good feedback, and we can continue giving you uh, more content that you love to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Provide your comments. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if you have any questions, just don't hesitate to reach out through uh, to us through our social channels. Yeah. Uh, even you can go on LinkedIn. We're we're equally there as well. Be more than happy to kind of tackle a subject on on a future show. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. Peace. Okay.